0: Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fellow auto enthusiasts and people who like podcast nonsense, no matter where you are in the world, you, uh, you've you chosen once again to hit the play button on yet another...
1: A Huga episode <laughs> of V8 Radio Kevin.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, a, a what?
1: Huga. it is uh, actually a Danish word. And it means uh, a feeling of well being or contentment. And it's more like a, a facet of their culture, of the Danish culture.
0: There's a whole facet of hoogas running Ooga. around? Yes. I thought you were trying to like do uh, like an old car horn.
1: An, an auga <laughs> horn. Uh, auga. Maybe that's Maybe. where they got the word from because it's so so pleasing. The Danes probably think those cars are very cheery. Probably. Could yeah. be.
0: Well, it's a very special episode because uh, you get more than you bargained for uh, at the same price because it is not just uh, myself, Kevin Oste, and uh, our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Huball-Clark. We're also joined by Mr. Trevor Spence, a uh, technician at the VHB and Resto Shop. Welcome to the show, Trevor.
2: Hi. So we're, we're down a listener since I'm here.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, that's what was the, the, the chatter before the show, is that Trevor was always referred to as the listener.
1: <laughs> He's <laughs> the original we, listener.
0: We've got a handful now, so
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, without you, we're down to, you know, three fingers, I guess. Uh, And and Trevor, you've heard this show before and uh, know some of our traditions. Uh, For those who haven't, we like to start each episode uh, because this is an automotive type show to some degree. Uh, We started off with an automotive trivia question, and guests are not immune. (laughs)
1: That's right, man.
0: (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh being our guest, Trevor, uh we're gonna ask you to go first. Did you prepare a trivia question for
2: this fine episode? Oh I, I did. I've been preparing since I, I heard I was gonna be on at the end of the last episode.
0: Oh gee whiz.
1: <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this.
2: <laughs> I told you not to ask. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so since I'm I'm not on here a lot, I guess mine's a little more complicated than usual. I got two parts and a bonus. Good God. Oh, wow. We only have an hour. Well, I mean, we we'll, we can have a, another guest episode to explain it later. <laughs> right on.
0: Well, About... I think what we, what we need to do is ask our friend Yardley to pull over for a minute and bust out the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> Absolutely. Because this is a two-parter A and B with a bonus. you need to add another column.
2: Oh, my goodness. So, uh, you guys ready? Yes, sir. I All right. So. What was the first uh american manufacturer to offer front wheel drive in what year also and then the bonus is what else was this auto manufacturer first to do in the united states oh
0: man and and not only is it a two-parter it's two firsts
1: yeah that's awesome Uh, thanks a lot trevor
0: yeah well see now technically because in the beginning of this i i claim to be the host I will be a, a gracious host and allow Mike to oh, answer first. Oh,
1: you're the nicest guy <laughs> ever. <laughs> All right. So the what? Who was the first American auto manufacturer to offer front wheel drive? Uh-huh. And what else were they first to do? Um, and, and what year was the, what year? The two oh, parts right, right, right. Oh boy. Okay, I'm gonna say it mm-hmm. was. Um, I know, and I know this is wrong. I'm going to say General Motors on the old Tornado as well as the Cadillac Eldorado, 1967. Ooh. And what else were they the first to do?
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, that's code for absolutely wrong. No, 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 no. no. I'm taking interest. Yes. I'm riveted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What were they the first to do? They were the first to use front disc brakes on their cars. Again, wrong, but that's my (laughs) Kevin, back to you. Uh, I've got yours written down. All right. All right, all right.
0: You know, there's a great uh, trivia question about that Olds Tornado, the uh, front drive car that Mike suggested to be the first American-produced front-wheel drive vehicle. Uh, And the trivia question there is, what was that supposed to be called before it was the Tornado? But we'll save that for later.
1: Thanks. I'm going to do some Google searching on that. Yeah.
0: (sighs) Uh, Okay, so first front, I'm going to say it was the 1937 Cord.
1: Ooh, nice guess.
0: Yeah, that's my guess. Um, often, and that's the coffin nose, right? The Cord. Uh,
2: that yeah, that car is referred to as the coffin nose. That's correct.
0: It's the first car to be called the coffin nose. <laughs> <I> win.
1: <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, so I don't remember what the model number of that was. I'm only familiar with like the Cord eight twelve and like the Cord. There was a speedster, but the Coffin, though, is popular vernacular. That's my guess for the first front drive. As far as the, I would say the Cord Company. Was it Auburn Cord at that point? Um, I don't know. So what else did they do? This was in the 30s. I'm just going to do a a wag here and say they were the, uh,
1: Da, da, I got it. I got it. They—they
0: they were the first supercharged American car.
2: Playing off of some of last week's mm, uh, trivia. Yeah,
0: wow. yeah. How about that.
2: All right.
1: I'd like to change my guess, please. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, brother! All right. Well, that was that was fabulous, Trevor. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Those riveting questions.
2: It's, it's, it's your turn to stump me. Yeah. Was...
1: Well, this is going to be a softball in comparison. Um, <laughs> I can right. make
2: a count while I'm here, right?
1: Yeah. All right, boys. All right, we're going to talk about fuel injection and, um, more specifically, the differences between. <clears throat> gas uh, direct-injected engines, <clears throat> and port-fuel-injected engines. And why is the v- the engine that uses gasoline direct-injected engine <clears throat> requires so much higher fuel pressures than the tuned port-injected engine?
2: All right,
0: so who's going first? Uh, I'm going to be a gracious host. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to say out. Mr. <laughs> Trevor will go first.
2: All right. So the question was, why does direct injection require more fuel pressure than port injection? Yes. Right.
1: Quite a bit more. Quite a bit more.
2: All right. So uh, a lot of the magic of direct injection is because you're putting the fuel right into the cylinder. Um, Part of when you do that is actually during the compression stroke and for a variety of reasons. Number one is when you do it during the compression stroke, you can time when the fuel comes in and therefore you can have higher compression, higher cylinder temperature. And uh, be less likely to detonate if you're having the fuel in there with less time to get hot. Um, but because of that, when you're on the compression stroke, you have a lot of pressure in the cylinder already. So in order to get the fuel in there and atomize it, uh, you've got to have more pressure from the direct injector. Whereas port injector, you're really just looking for enough pressure to atomize fuel and get it out the nozzle towards the valve. And then the vacuum or the intake stroke is what pulls the fuel in.
1: Hmm. An interesting take, Kevin.
0: Yeah, what a bunch of nonsense that was. (laughs) Man, somebody wake me up over here. Uh, Well, that is a a great synopsis. And what happens if I just say I agree with that? Uh, Because, um, Mikey, uh, the the question that you chose to pose at this specific time is, is relevant because Trevor's been playing quite a bit with direct injected engines in the shop, in mm. fact, that uh, LT4, LT4 yeah. we did. you know, we've been playing with uh, that's a direct-injected engine. And we've been discussing the needs of that high-pressure fuel system. And I remember way back when, when we started looking at that car, uh, I was doing some research. Because I had that same question. So it was a very organic question. You know, what's the deal with all this pressure? And uh, the term or the analogy is also how a diesel engine does the same thing. Um, diesel engines require quite a bit of fuel pressure. Uh, So if you're going to start off your Duramax or your Cummins diesel, you know, they've got very high pressures as well. So, but what Trevor said, I think is completely right. You're going to shoot this stuff when everything is trying to get out of the cylinder, you're trying to stuff things in. Mm. Um, So I I agree. We've never had this
1: situation. That that you've agreed with Trevor? No, we've had that a (laughs)
0: lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I was saying here on the show where two people agree on the trivia question because we've only had a couple guests in sure. the past, so uh, I'm, I'm right. just gonna I'm gonna stick with it. Though.
1: All right, all right. Duly noted, boys.
0: So if we win, if Trevor and I both win, we get to split the prize. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think there's one dilly bar left in the show. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, you you can have that. I'll just sing
0: nothing from nothing leaves nothing. (laughs) Nothing, yeah. Yeah. All right. Satisfied with all that?
1: Yeah, I like it. Good answers.
0: All right, so uh, I have also prepared a trivia question. Yeah, and this one, uh, it's a little little more vague than both of those, but uh, uh, it kind of delves back into American car history. And, and over the years, there have been certain families that owned or started or ran automobile or parts companies in the U.S. So the most obvious one would be the Ford family. Henry Ford started his son, you know, Edsel and Henry II and Edsel II and Henry III and all the rest of them continue on. And that's kind of a vertical format. But there was times when there was siblings that ran Car companies. So, as I'm saying this, I'm debating how much of a J-O do I want to be on this question.
1: Uh, <laughs> why? Why hold back now, baby? Why hold back now? Okay. Well, this is this is
0: super trivial. So, oh, uh, I will say that I'm aware of two sets of siblings that ran uh, car companies, and I will allow either one of those sets um okay one being one being a pair of brothers another being three brothers so mike any idea of two brothers or three brothers that owned and operated a car company in the united states
1: i do have an idea of a car of a set of brothers that owned and operated a car company in the united states and uh i believe that would be the dodge brothers Ooh! Ooh! nice question uh, who yeah. actually happen to have worked for uh, the Ford Motor Company uh, before they struck out on their own. They struck out? Struck out <laughs> <laughs> on their own. <laughs>
0: Do you want to take a whack at the three? Oh, for gosh. A bonus for uh, column C of our spreadsheet?
1: The three, bro- three brothers. American Car Company or any car company? American Car Company. Okay. Um, oh, gosh, man. Uh, I'll get a, a, a wag and say, and I think this is I'm, this is totally wrong, but I, I don't want to say AMC. I'll just say uh, Tucker.
0: The infamous Tucker Brothers. The infamous Tucker gentlemen. Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that's right. All right.
1: All right, don't judge me.
0: That was a bonus. Mm-hmm. It's, good. it's hard, you know, you, you need to not say, and I know this is wrong every time yeah because presentation (laughs) helps you know
1: well on that part i'm right (laughs) (laughs) well that's a good point
0: all right mr trevor spence
2: uh i I pose the same question to you all right so i I got a, a three brothers that uh i don't know if you thought of but when mike said dodge brothers uh i went to the graham brothers uh there's a lot of history there but We'll get into where those are related a little bit. The Graham brothers actually started the Dodge Brothers truck business by modifying Dodge cars, and then they ultimately sold that back to them and went oh. to start their own car company. Uh, and then I'm going to do again to last week. Uh, I'm going to say Fred and August Duesenberg for Two Brothers. Oh. Hmm. That's a doozy of an answer. That
0: sure is. <laughs> Very good. Do send, that, that means twice I have to spell this in my notes.
1: Oh, boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Duly noted.
2: Right. And also, the Grand Brothers logo had three uh, faces on it for a while. Hmm.
0: Manny, Moe, and Jack? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't <laughs> <Thank remember you. laughs> the Grand
2: Brothers names. Oh, oh, well, maybe that's the idea. trivia question. <laughs> yeah, right?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's always good to have a different perspective on the uh, on the trivia question. So that was good. Uh, and you'll have to wait till the end of the show. This is kind of what we do. We tease people because I, I could tell. I can hear them gripping, uh, you know, in anticipation <laughs> to figure out what were the names of the infamous Tucker Brothers later on in the show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right.
0: And we're going to shift gears a little bit and go from automotive trevi- trivia to trivia.
1: Trivia. Yeah, we're going to need a full first and last name, Mr. Spence. Oh, you want my legal name? Yeah, absolutely. We no, all this is
0: something. It. This is something that he hadn't revealed to even, even his co-workers for many years. So, you sure? Can uh, handle some them? knew.
2: It wasn't everybody. Some knew. Uh, heck, there was actually... We'll, we'll go to my wedding for a minute. There were some people that didn't know uh, in my extended family, uh, particularly my bride, Trisha's family, uh, until wedding day because it was printed on the program but it didn't fit on the invitation and plus we wanted people to know whose wedding it was so uh, yeah. my real first name is actually Trevelyan that's a strong great first name it yeah. is um, I love it and as an adult I'm, I'm alright with it as a kid it wasn't a lot of fun because uh, most of my teachers couldn't couldn't pronounce it So, especially like the first day of class I'd be you know, they'd go through the list. Billy, Susie, Jane, and there'd be this long pause. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor just <laughs> raised his hand here. Mr. Spence. So, yeah, yeah, right. By the time college rolled around, that was to the point of raising my hand. Yep, I'm here. Call me Trevor. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah, and then obviously my last name's not near as exciting. But,
1: but great nonetheless.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, that was something that I... I didn't think I knew the first couple of years that you
2: had worked with us. Uh, Well, well, to that point, uh, obviously a long time ago. I've been been at the V8 Speedmaster shop almost nine years, so some listeners have more context. Uh, Way back when I applied for the job here, uh, obviously Kelly got my full name for the legal documentation stuff, but Mm. I went by Trevor, so it actually... The first couple of years I worked here, I had some minor issues with my taxes because she was writing my paychecks and sending my tax information in under Trevor, which is uh, a person who doesn't exist with my social security number. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs>
0: <Man>. <laughs> and it only took you a couple of years to straighten that out. So that's good.
2: Well, because I'd go in her office like, hey, I, I noticed that this is not actually my name on here. And she... Uh, <laughs> Would write it down on a notepad, and then you know I wouldn't think anything else of it until tax time next year. So, <laughs> oh boy, oh wow! The infamous Kelly notepads, by the way, is that right? Yeah, they're they're yellow legal pads, and uh she writes lots of things on them.
1: Now, Trevor, yeah. when you started at the shop, was it the shop at its current location, or was it at the at the farm?
2: No, it was at the farm. Right uh, on. Yeah, we. uh well, the the whole farm shop would probably fit in the room I work in now in the uh, the current location.
1: <laughs> probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was twenty
2: by thirty, maybe if that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we could we could kind of work on like two cars, three if one was like halfway under the one on the lift, and uh, the other times were on nice days like a day like today was somebody worked outside. It was just easier for <laughs> everybody that way.
1: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm
0: yeah it is pretty remarkable to think back and and think of what you know you guys were able to do and what we were all able to do in that small space initially because i don't even know how many cars we have in our shop space today but it was a vastly different environment when uh when trevor started and trevor joined the team way early on when we first actually started to hire people because like the very beginning was Kelly and I, cause it was kind of our deal. Kelly's brother, John, who is a body technician who would basically do overnights and, and evenings with us. And then anybody else we could grab to come by and help out, you know, and things started to get a little more serious and, and require some more expertise and, and more uh, uh, capabilities. So Kelly's like, we, we, should, we need to hire a mechanic. And I'm like, where the heck are we going to do that? I mean, we, we're on this family-owned farm little spot that wasn't accessible to the public and and didn't have a sign out in front. And, you know, it was basically completely off the grid, primarily by design by Kelly's dad who owned the property. And she's like, well, I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll uh, you know, put an ad out. And if you remember, Trevor, of course you remember this, but the, uh, the, the job interview didn't even happen on site. It happened at a sandwich
2: shop. <laughs> <It did>. Nice. <laughs> Nice. sandwich shop, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. And it's kind of depressing. Oh, but, it is uh shop. Yeah, I, uh, I met Kelly in, in the city of Waterloo and uh, at what was then the subliminal sandwich shop and sat in a booth. And uh, the interview questions she asked me was, I have these parts. I think it was parts to do like a break job. And mm-hmm. she said, what am I missing? And later on, she told me it's because I asked for the grease and the cotter pin that... Uh, we're missing that
1: clinched it huh oh nice yeah
0: Yeah. well i mean trevor's obviously a very detail oriented guy and he he thinks things out and that was crucially important you know and in our case even today when you're building a custom car um you don't always have the luxury of a manual or a plan or something that has very detailed step-by-step instructions we rely on the team to be constructively creative and and engineer things along the way. So they need to be aware of what they're working on and what it bolts to and what that bolts to and
1: sure.
0: serviceability and all the rest. And that's still a challenge in many ways, because you know sometimes one department will work on something and and not put enough consideration for the next department that, you know, might be installing it or or painting it or whatever. So we really try to work together on that. And, you know, it's that classic old question. Uh, you know what, what comes first, and and we'd she'd interviewed a couple people, and and she's like, so what do you do first on a brake job? And they're like, we put brake pads on. And she's like, how about you get out of the car? <laughs> <laughs> you know. So Trevor was able to, uh, and, and I think Trevor was able to you know vocalize those details because he's been through these type of questions with his previous manager training. Did you know that Mike? That uh, uh, Trevor had previous management training before he came to work with us?
2: I was not aware of this. Do you tell? Uh, well, it starts when i uh, when I was in college, I uh, was working at a Walmart tire shop, which I was doing to, to get through and you know pay what bills I had. Uh, and I had already been restoring cars with my dad when I was a kid, and I had done like a work study program in high school at a general repair shop. Uh, so, I was a little overqualified to be changing tires and oil at that point. Uh, <laughs> so pretty quickly, I got to be the, the manager of the tire shop at the Walmart. And then what I went to college for, which incidentally was criminal justice, wasn't panning out. Uh, and wow. coincidentally, they thought I was pretty good at managing tire shop. So we'll let him see if he can you know, be an assistant store manager. Oh, so boy. I did that for a couple of years. He's moving uh, on up. Yeah, man. And I probably could have stuck with it and been a store manager, but... I honestly hated it, and I think a lot of it was was the store and the store manager I had uh, in hindsight. Because uh, I got banished to overnights, which is something that happens in a bad store when you're the the manager who gets things done because the overnight crew typically doesn't get stuff done, and that was that was it for me. I did about a year on overnights, and uh, I was ready to do anything but work at a store. <laughs> I almost <laughs> changed- precisely when we found him he's ready to do anything
0: <laughs> and we're like okay buddy
2: we have got a
1: job for you we've got anything for you panel mm-hmm. yeah I, I
2: don't know if i've told kevin this i actually had uh, a job lined up to uh go be a truck driver uh take truck driving training because uh, wow. i was so fed up with that but fortunately, i came here instead because they probably would have hated that too
0: well we're certainly glad that you came to join us at the team because um you, you know, had an interesting start. I think we kind of threw you right in the fire. Um, and we, we, we put some trust into your, your interview process and, and uh, we had to get some stuff done. So, you know, those first few days were kind of interesting, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. But successful. Yeah, my first task uh, was on a, a 69 Camaro uh, that uh, Kevin drove from, I didn't even know where at the time. I show up at work. Kelly shows me around the, the farm shop where things are, including the uh, the Blackberry patch that you, you know, mm. snacked on on your way to or from picking up parts from storage. Nice. <laughs> That's right. Nice. Uh, Kevin shows we're- up in the orange 69 Camaro and says, so we're going to do a top-end swap and uh, we're going to do a brake upgrade and uh, you're going to be filmed doing that. First go. And, uh, oh, we're going to take the engine out because we're going to paint it too. So have fun. Right <laughs> on. Hate, like leaves. <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go get some blackberries <laughs> well yeah, yeah i had to go play with the goat or something right <laughs> and then kelly actually filmed me that day because uh we didn't even have a full-time camera guy back then because that no. was when that was when we had mark but he was he was part part time
0: <laughs> yep yeah he and i were trading off those responsibilities and and back in those days uh vatv the television show had existed for a while already uh, but I was the sole production person at that point. So I was shooting all the the video and Kelly would jump in an occasion and then I would edit that stuff off site at our at our home office. So half the time I was at home and the other half I was at the shop and I figured, well, you know, you're the th- this is why you're here. So go to town.
1: Nice. <laughs> and did a great job. That's awesome. So, um, Trevor, how has your role uh,
2: evolved since uh, since the time you started till now? Well, uh, so when I started, I was the mechanic and, uh, I mean, the crew was pretty small at the time. There was me, Nathan, who was our painter and body man back then, uh, Nick, who was our, our fabricator and, uh, Kevin and Kelly. And then occasionally there were some like, you know, high school, college age kids that seemed to filter through doing some, uh, prep work and cleanup work. And then now we got officially four mechanics and then we got one guy who's uh, sort of jack of all trades, John, who uh, does some mechanic work. And I wouldn't wouldn't say I'm like in charge of any anybody, but I've been here the longest, and uh, out so, of everybody on the team, I have have a lot of experience building custom cars and restoring cars. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so people tend I, to
1: defer to you on things. I'm just a guiding because, uh, light uh, in yeah, ways. Right on. If there's
2: you know, questions on how to do something or what would look best. And especially if Kevin and Kelly aren't, aren't on premises to ask those, ask those questions. I, you know, I, I kind of have a, a feel for what the company standard and expectations are in those cases. And cool. I've dealt with a lot of things. So uh, I have, I have a, a pretty broad experience on stuff. Uh, like I was saying earlier, I, I restored cars with my, my dad when I was a kid and he was really into the thirties cars. Uh, so, Got a lot of experience on flathead and points and kingpins and cool, you know stuff that is basic, but not stuff that your average automotive technician runs into anymore because right. it's just not used. So and that's
0: what I what I think is always fun is when somebody brings us a car. So right now we've got a, a forty Cadillac in the shop. We've got a a thirty Ford Model A hot rod, and you know we get these older cars in. And people just can't take them anywhere else because nobody understands what, how this stuff works anymore. You can't go to a general repair shop today and say, you know, put kingpins in my, my, we've got a 58 uh, Chevy trucks in there. Yeah. And, you know, even that thing is, is beyond. But I always think it's fun when you tell somebody on the phone that, yeah, we've got, we've got a couple of people with a lot of experience, you know, between Trevor and Mike. Um, and, and a lot of times they expect like, you know, that we're going to break out the real old guy. <laughs>
1: right. To do those, you know, older technologies.
0: We bring Trevor out and you know, the guy, what are you barely 31, 30?
2: Uh 32 actually.
0: 32, see? Jeez. Uh, and, and, and they're like, so where's the guy? And and, and Mike is our, our senior technician, uh, in experience and age, um, and he's good at that stuff too. But the, you know, between Trevor and Mike, I don't I don't think there's any old old system that you know we can't fix. And what I thought was really cool is every once in a while, I'll hear Trevor telling stories to a customer about stuff he's worked on, you know, because people don't just relinquish control of their classic vehicle. They want it. You got to qualify yeah, yourself a little bit. Exactly. And every once in a while, I hear Trevor telling the story of the <laughs> the automatic stick shift thing in the, what was it the Hudson or the Graham? What, what what was his car that you built when you were like 12?
2: So uh, one of the cars my dad had was a, a 37 Hudson Terraplane pickup. Um, and Terraplane was like a junior make to Hudson, similar to the Cadillac and LaSalle concept or Chrysler and DeSoto concept. Yeah. Uh, it was, it wasn't necessarily a cheap car, but it was cheaper than a Hudson, which was like a mid price car. All right. uh, Generally. And, uh, at the time it was pretty common to take the, basically a sedan and make it a pickup truck. Um, so it shared all the front sheet metal on the drivetrain and, uh, and all that one of the options (laughs) the terra ranchero so one of the options on that um was called the electric hand was the uh marketing name that hudson used but it was a system that bendix developed um that was an electric vacuum shift mechanism uh which incidentally was used on quite a few cars during that era because the uh the ideal thing a lot of manufacturers wanted to do was create an automatic transmission, and not everybody had the uh, engineering money to throw at that, especially the smaller companies. Um, so basically, the system used uh, vacuum cylinders and pretty basic switches uh, and linkages and bell cranks and a mess of stuff to make the clutch operate uh, automatically, uh, which worked well in the Hudson because it's a wet clutch, similar to a motorcycle. So it's uh, no. it's super easy to slip uh so a machine can do it it doesn't really need the finesse of a person and then the the shifting again was just vacuum cylinders and it was really crude um but there weren't a whole lot of them that worked um at least as far as i knew from what my dad would tell me uh which also kind of surprises me because going back to the trivia question kevin's answer the cord actually used the same system um Mm. so there's a Again, I don't know why. I don't know if it was just that Hudson people didn't have the, the resources, especially this is in the days before there was a whole lot of internet support. You know, the internet was was around, but it's not. This was before forums had really taken off a lot. Well, you're talking about when social media.
0: You're talking about when you were restoring this thing. Right. That was before we were restoring. Had, this yeah. Thing. When they built these things was in the '30s, That's <laughs> <Yeah>. long <laughs> before the arts. So, yeah. So <laughs> getting a, getting
2: information to work on stuff was far more difficult then than it is now. Um, right. So anyway, we we got that thing to work, and uh, yeah, that's just one of the things. That's and cool, I think man.
0: you know the, the those experiences not only taught you how to work on this stuff, but it also instilled almost kind of a mechanical fearlessness. That, yeah, you, can that. Uh, you know, and, and I think it, we we still need that today doing. You know, any of this stuff that we're working on right now, you're in the process of putting this, you know, brand new Ford 5.0 six speed automatic into a 57 Thunderbird. And, you know, again, there's no manual for that. Mm-hmm. So you got to just kind of go for it
2: and do it. Well, I think and, there's about eight pages of manual because we did this once before.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, we, we you and again, the, but you did it the first time in our shop seven, eight years ago, 76, seven years ago and didn't have anything and obviously you've learned from that knowledge gathering of going through the project uh, but it's fun for me to see how the team has evolved um, to be able to approach these type of things uh, you know because every every one of these engine transplants you know we've we talked quite a bit about ls swaps last time and those are getting easier and easier because companies are making parts to do that but we're still doing a lot of stuff that parts are not made and We're not building complete, you know, race cars from tube chassis from nothing. Uh, We're generally taking a car that had something and we're putting something else in it. But we're real sticklers on making this stuff, you know, function the way that, uh, you know, a modern manufacturer would want it to work. You know, and people bring us cars all the time where they had somebody else do the engine swap, but it doesn't run or it dies at every stoplight or whatever. Um, So there's a couple of interesting things going on. One so here we have a guy who's versed in this very rudimentary mechanical technology, who's also doing a lot of our cutting edge stuff,
1: oh.
0: which I think is pretty cool. And it's a great yeah. resource for the, for the shop. Uh, and the other thing is that I think the, the team, and we mentioned this before, too, the TV show House with the uh, concept of the differential diagnosis, you know, where you, uh, I, I think the true definition of that is you're supposed to disagree with each other to land on the, on the answer, that's why it's called differential. But right. uh, you know, in our case, we do a lot of collaboration um, and it's not just, Oh, well, I just took it apart and here's all the pieces on the floor. And now what, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a strategy and, and a discipline. And, you know, I think Trevor brings quite a bit to that. So uh, the cars that, that we've been able to build, uh, you know, outside of the first couple, I mean, you've been there the whole time. So I think it's, uh, it's great that you've been able to contribute all that stuff and continue to grow and then share that with you know other people that have joined the team.
2: Well, thanks. And well, there's there's too many cars in the world. I can't fix them all by myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this and, is true.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you a question, Trevor. Um, what do you think? Uh, what skill set uh, did you bring with you that maybe wasn't well honed that you've uh, really developed uh, into something since since joining the team?
2: Um, I think the, I think the most apparent one to me is, uh, probably f- fuel injection tuning. Cause, uh, when I started here, I would tuned exactly one fuel injected car that was my own, mm-hmm. um, which I drove to my second interview and showed Kevin, uh, the so orange I, I definitely, yeah, my orange Caprice, uh, actually the proper color, name of that color was Malibu sunset. Ah, <laughs> nice I can taste it now <laughs> <laughs> yeah I uh, well uh, on a side story on that I wanted to paint it C um, C6 Corvette atomic orange mm. but when I did that car I didn't have I was a broke college kid I didn't have any money so uh, I was actually one of the cheap base coat colors out of the Eastwood catalog at the time so they might still make it I don't know I haven't looked in a while it's a pretty good color yeah I liked it and uh mm-hmm it kind of fit i I think i like it more after i had it than atomic orange from c6 corvette but uh, um anyway yeah i think fuel injection is probably where i've where i feel like i've i've learned and grown the most and some of that has been you know just doing it uh and the technology just in the time i've been here has changed a whole lot because uh when we were doing the reloaded camaro back then uh self-tuning fuel injection systems were were pretty new and uh, by today's standards, really crude. And now the self-tuning stuff is is a nice blend of self-tuning, but you can still get in there and and uh, finesse the details because most of those things aren't are getting stretched in a way by you know 600 horsepower, 500 cubic inch big blocks. Uh, you know they're they're geared towards a a weekend guy with a with a more mild combination as far as you know fall out of the box and, and work perfectly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we've, uh, we, as an organization, we've been, uh, doing a lot with training. So Kelly has sent us to Holly fuel injection training. Uh, we've done the online training for a lot of the HP tuner stuff. Um, and, uh, early on, we worked with, uh, some other tuners like Mike Norris, uh, and Mike Norris actually helped us on the, the silver LT4 Camaro that's on the cover, um, mm-hmm. Cause that was our first foray into that all. So uh, it was nice to have a, a helping hand because in some ways you can read a book a whole lot, but until you actually do it, it's, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily stick.
0: Yep. Totally. Yeah. It, and there's been, there's been other training too, welding training and HVAC and you know, all kinds of different stuff. Um, but I think one of the things that differentiates our shop is that standard again, that we want this stuff to perform, as best we, you know, it can in all situations. So, you know, a million years ago when I was at Hot Rod, the guys used to give the guys a car craft, a bunch of crap, because they would say car craft, if it runs, it's tuned, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, again, you start, you still see a lot of that. And we see, we see people that bolt parts on a car. And just because they're stuck to the car doesn't mean they work together. And this is a a source of uh, Trevor and the other mechanics in the shop a source of frustration for these guys day in and day out because the parts choices are made sometimes with more emphasis on cheap rather than good and functioning and then things aren't made to fit and work so you spend quite a bit of your time uh when a car comes in we got several right now that that need help getting reworked and unfortunately that's time and money a customer has to spend but if he wants to work right it's got to happen
2: yeah well and i think two cars that are coming to mind that you're talking about. The one uh, is a victim of time because uh, some of the stuff the customer bought is just it's not that old. And we're talking about some of the fuel injection stuff again, it's 10 years old, but it's it's already outdated and there's far better ways to do it now. But this is what he owns, this is what he's installed, so it, it's definitely a balance of do we you know, suggest to start over or do we put time into what he's got and then uh, the other car is just like I was saying, poor part selection and uh, you know, reading the the advertising line and more than the specs on some parts, like you know, the stuff that makes you think you need this without any <laughs> qualifications for what your car actually needs or what this part's really designed for. Yeah, and it goes
0: hand in hand with our comment last time also about some of the Facebook groups and forums where it's like You see these guys who are are just trying to buy the biggest cam and the biggest carburetor they can because it sounds cool, Mm -hmm. and then they're upset that the car doesn't run right. And when we have the opportunity, like with this 57 um, Thunderbird that's in the shop, we had the opportunity to kind of spec most of the parts on that car with things that we were familiar with and things that we uh, had good uh, manufacturer relationships with. So most of that car has gone pretty smoothly. Now, there was a little bit of a, a hiccup in the in the chassis because the we use the first time uh, uh source for us on a chassis but nobody builds off the shelf chassis for 57 thunderbirds and it was like one or two guys and and we found the one and he had a very attractive package and the parts he was using were attractive to us the coilover shocks and the brakes and all that stuff um but he left a little bit out of the description about how the body mounts and the bumpers mount. So, you know, uh, it came in and Trevor's looking at it going, Oh, this looks like it's going to fit great except we need to put bumpers on it somehow.
2: Mm. Yeah. Well, and we also uh, did a got a little learning uh, on the nuances of first generation Thunderbirds too. Cause uh, I called the manufacturer and said, Hey, what's, <laughs> what's the deal with these two body mounts? And he says, Oh, uh, well, We probably shouldn't have welded those quite all the way on there because we found they've been in like three different places. And uh, I think what happened was in 57, they had some leftover 56 parts and they made some of them just work to get rid of them. I got you. Yeah,
0: and that's something that nobody really knows until you get in it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you're always going to have those, those hot rotting moments, you know, the, the trick is to minimize them and, and maximize that creative energy making the cool stuff and not having to burn that energy in that time, making basic stuff that somebody else overlooked, you know, cause that's, that's when it gets frustrating. But you mentioned the, uh, the, the cover car. So right now in, in the, june 2020 hemmings muscle machines magazine on the cover is that silver lt4 69 camaro that we didn't build the whole car the car came to us as a complete show car uh, and then we were tasked with undoing it and redoing all the driveline in different stages Mm -hmm. uh, without messing up the outside of the car and that was um a lot of challenges in that car some bolt-in parts, a Detroit Speed subframe that is designed for 69 Camaro and bolts in, except this one had the RS nose with hidden headlights and the customer wanted a dry sump oiling system and, you know, Trevor, you and Tyler had to figure out where to put the tank and how to plumb it and all that stuff and
2: there was yeah, lots of was, unknowns on that one. That oil tank on that was definitely a team effort because uh, I, I talked to actually Mark Steelell uh, a little bit because he's done this a lot, and he's he's a GM engineer because uh, there's not even though the l t four's been out for years, there's still not a ton of information on some of this stuff. And even GM's uh instructions and you know their tech line, they didn't have a lot of information beyond you use a dry sump tank. You know, we're looking for like how big should it be, mm-hmm. how far away from the motors okay? what's the you know yeah. links lines? Give me some specs longer. here, right. <laughs> So I talked talked to Stilo about it, and you know he he builds cars to perform. He wins wins uh, autocross events with his cars, and that helped us land on a on a volume for the tank. But then we had to figure out a place to fit it. Uh, so then myself and one of the fabricators, uh, we we measured our space, and I actually worked with Peterson Fluid Systems to design a custom built tank to fit in that space. But even then, then Tyler had to rework the. Uh, the mechanics of the headlight door and move the uh the headlight motor from where it was because uh, it had the Troy speed uh, electric headlight conversion which mounts an electric motor basically where the vacuum can used to be and even though it's mm. a lot smaller it's exactly in the real estate we want for that oil tank um, so tyler actually engineered the stuff to move mm-hmm. it up front right behind the bumper uh with new linkages to make it work right on completely not as intended <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but again, that's that's hot riding. And, yeah. and I think uh, that particular car, the, the biggest uh, frustration is also personally what I think is one of your biggest personal triumphs in figuring something out. Uh, and it's the, the habit of what the car was doing under acceleration and while shifting, um, which to this day, I still think, you know, you're probably about the only guy in the aftermarket that knows how to fix this thing. Um, so we're kind of keeping it a little bit of a secret because a, we're not advertising and telling other people to do this just in case it doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we're yeah, not we're, I don't we're, want to be responsible for that.
2: We're calling our fix a beta right now. We've, well, we've got <laughs> yeah. two cars that worked yeah. so far.
0: So, yeah. um, give us the, the short version of that one of what the car was doing and, and your thought process to kind of bring this all around. Cause I've talked about this on the show, but you did it.
2: Uh, so yeah, basically when you drove the car aggressively uh so it's a manual transmission car you know not necessarily wide open throttle but pretty deep into it and if you pulled it up to say it it wasn't very specific uh like I never nailed down exactly an rpm but somewhere 4000 plus and you didn't pull it all the way to where the the rev limiter was set which i think was 6600 so in that window and you go shift, so say you want you were being moderately aggressive, you want to do your, your next shift at 5,000 RPM. Well, you'd step on the clutch, take your foot off the gas like you're supposed to, and the thing would wing up to the hard rev limit, and then then wind down, which is scary because you're not expecting <laughs> yeah, it. to say the least. You're not in control. Yeah. Right, and it, it <clears throat> sounds scary like, is this going to come apart on me? Even though it probably won't. But the other thing that was frustrating about it is if you were able to shift fast enough, what would end up happening is it'd still be wound up when you go for the next gear, and it was jerky to drive. And mm. you know, to anybody bystanding, it's kind of embarrassing probably like, look <laughs> at that guy with his expensive car. He doesn't know how to drive it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember my first stick shift. <laughs> right. Uh, so basically what it came down to is from the get go, I was pretty certain that it had to do with missing equipment. Um, Cause in the Camaro and the Corvette, Uh, there's a system called active rev match where the ECM allows the driver to flip a switch basically and allow the car to manage the throttle between shifts. So when you're upshifting, you step on the clutch, you move the shifter, and then it brings the RPM down to the appropriate RPM. So when you let the clutch out, it's nice and smooth. And then uh, where it's even more useful is on downshifts. So if you're driving aggressively on a road course or Something where you're got to do a lot of shifting, coming into in and out of corners, it'll manage the throttle so you don't have to heel toe, which is frankly pretty difficult for all but the best drivers. Um, so the car does that for you, but you can turn that off so you can still drive traditionally. Because some people find it annoying, some people are enjoying. You know, it's way more fun to drive a stick shift, so they want to do it themselves, <laughs> even if they're not good at it. I way, heard it's more way more fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in, in a swap situation we're missing a lot of stuff we don't have we don't have the body module we don't have the instrument panel display we don't have the switches on a steering column. uh so I, I was digging around you know calling our friends at the local chevy dealer getting wiring diagrams um they wouldn't they wouldn't let us drive one but they had a z06 corvette up on the lot uh, but it was an automatic but
0: yeah, we're like, we just need to bring this to the rev limiter a bunch of times, and, <laughs> right? And, and data log with our data. aftermarket box here. You know, come on.
2: And we were. <laughs> uh, I even reached out to some friends I have through some local car clubs, and I couldn't find anybody with a manual Z06 that would let us even uh, let them drive and us just record what's happening to try and compare any notes. Uh, so we ultimately, I I found a solution in in the tune, which was. A little, it was intuitive, but a long way around an arc to get there, if that makes any sort of sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and the I guess the best way to put it is I, I thought a little backwards to earlier generation systems. And uh, they didn't have active rev match, but the, the data that's available for the ECM to make other decisions, primarily for heads-up displays on uh, LS-powered performance cars like your Camaros and Corvettes, it's it's calculating a lot of data which is actually uh read by sensors in the in the newer cars so that's where i kind of went down a a not a path that i don't think many people have probably thought of uh to go down so far and technically uh what i did is something you wouldn't normally do in a tune to fix it yeah Uh, and then as far as other people not really noticing this yet uh even though probably half the cars we have in the shop are stick shifts. And I mean, there's a Chevelle in here right now getting an automatic taken out and a stick shift putting in stick shifts, unfortunately aren't as popular as they were, uh, especially in super high power cars, because as fun as it is, it's harder and harder to use all the power in a stick shift car. So more and more of these high power cars are becoming automatics. And I'm thinking uh, in the automatics in a swap situation, the the transmission shifts up as soon as you let off the gas so that dampens it because if you in this in the car we're talking about if you step on the clutch it does this but if you just take your foot off the gas there's just the briefest moment uh, which you really have to look for when you're driving it you can see it in the data where it it doesn't close the throttle right away compared to what your foot does but you can't feel it because the way the car is there
1: um, sure sure
2: so uh, i think the automatic cars and the number of automatics versus manuals are probably masking this problem for a lot of people. Yeah.
0: And it took you to be, um, you know, challenged and, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of obsessive over wanting to get this right, uh, you know, to, to come up with ways to look at this data and think about it and then figure it out, which I think is pretty cool. And, and we have a lot of people in our, our, business that that do think that way that are up in the middle of the night thinking about you know how do these panels go together to where i can disconnect them and you know weld new ones in or or how can i you know repaint this car in a certain number of steps to where we don't have any tape lines or overage or whatever or in your case you know how do, how do i get this computer to do what what i need it to do um and i think that again is a big difference between our shop and and some others where a lot of people be like what do you mean what's wrong with it you know call the tech line and look at the manual or whatever and be done with it and some people just don't have the luxury of being able to put that kind of time into it uh we're very fortunate that the owner of this car kind of hung with us on this because he wanted it right too but we didn't have any idea how long it was going to take and um thankfully he was he was cool that because
2: the end result
0: i mean the car screams it's awesome
2: it looks awesome yeah, and I I feel the need to clarify is that not not to say that we're we're the best in the world but at this, but we we really went around and talked to everybody who's anybody with regards to this late model tuning stuff, and mm-hmm. we got answers from you're crazy, there's something wrong with your car to we don't <laughs> have a problem to I don't know how to help you so. <laughs>
0: Or try this, or we oh, figured yeah. it out also, and we think it's this, and it, and it wasn't. You know, we tried all those other suggested fixes. You're right. I don't mean to sound like, you know, I'm being arrogant about this um, because there were so many steps along the way. This process took us months, um, but we, we, we went to the top, to the manufacturers, and then down to different tuners and racers and everything else, and, and it, was, it was pretty amazing the wide uh, breadth of, you know, feedback we were getting, everything Trevor said plus more. Um, and then as soon as we kind of figured it out, then we offered to those who helped, you know, helped us, uh, to turn around and help them with, with their situations. And, um, we didn't end up helping a, a shop on the West coast in that same respect, you know, with fixing, fixing theirs too. So it is a community event, you know, you gotta be a, a good member of the automotive aftermarket community. Um, but a lot of times people don't get it. They don't have any idea what it takes just to do something that seems simple
1: yeah because it seems simple yet is not
2: if you do it right if you well yeah (laughs) (laughs) well if it makes you feel better mike as soon as i figured it out i i was upset at how simple it was to to fix it once i found
1: it yeah right you're like oh i didn't think of this sooner that's the matter with me
0: yeah, here's Trevor. I'll uh, you know, as Kelly says, mopey, gropey, sitting at the lunch table. What's the matter? I
2: fixed it. Why are you upset? <laughs> this took so damn long. They didn't fix it last month. That's why. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's well, a real feather in your cap to figure that out. That's that's amazing. I remember Kevin and I talking about that uh, a while ago, and that being an issue. And I was, you know, I, every time I would talk to him, I'm like. It, is this is this lt4 thing fixed yet no not yet and the, the, when the time it, it it finally was he was so happy he's like oh you never you'll never believe what trevor found out on this thing it's amazing so uh yeah that was that was really exciting for me to to kind of follow along that process
0: and i think yeah. a little of that got left into the hemming story
2: did it yeah there's like a like two lines about it which uh when uh when they were interviewing me for my portion of the story, uh, they are asking all sorts of questions. And then I'm just answering questions. And <laughs> Kevin O hears me on the phone. He's like, I-, I hope they write that okay. Cause I don't want that to come off the wrong way, but they, hmm. they did it justice and they didn't make it, you know, the whole story. It's probably two, like said, two, maybe three sentences about it.
0: Yeah. And that's really all it needs to be to the, to the rest of the world, you know, but internally it was, it was a bit of an odyssey.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: For sure. So um, I know we're uh, we're going, um, you know, kind of deep into our show here. But before uh, we get to the trivia questions, that hey everybody's yo. waiting to hear, um, <laughs> Trevor, give us the uh, the rundown of the stable at this point, because a lot of times people ask us, you know, you know, being a you know, and working in a hot rod shop, what kind of cars do you have? So so tell us uh, tell us what you got now, because you've got a pretty good variety of stuff.
2: Uh, Well, between my wife, Trisha, and I, we have six cars. Nice. Um, Trisha daily drives a Dodge Dart, although not now because she's working from home. So it's sitting in the driveway. And Uh, a a modern. It's a Ford, yeah, a a modern economy car, a Fiat in a Dodge suit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a 68 Hemi Dart. No, no, nothing (laughs) like that. (laughs) It's a rather depressing little car, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) but it does it does what it's supposed to do it's it's cheap and gets her where she needs to go and all that that's Uh, and then she also in order to feel more fair at home claimed the beater s10 uh we have a really beat up 98 s10 that does homeowner type duties you know picking up mulch going to home depot stuff like that it is she likes that truck uh, she does it's a fire speed uh She's she kind of knew how to drive stick shift before we had it, but she, nobody ever like taught her in a reasonable method. She uh got the you're burning my clutch, uh, what are you doing type of treatment, trying to learn from her brother. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she she had concept but didn't have any finesse to it, I guess the best way to say that. So she kind of latched onto that so that she could have two cars. And uh then I have four. So Most of the time, I drive to work a supercharged 97 Buick Riviera, which uh, it's my beater car. It's pretty rough um, for what it is, but I kind of always wanted one of those. Uh, Growing up in the 90s, those cars were really different at the time. Looking back now, it looks like a 90s car, but they felt very different back then. Um, And of course, with the supercharger, it's 240 horsepower, which even by today's standards for a for a full-size car, isn't isn't nothing. So the thing gets out of its own way. In fact, Trisha gets mad that it's faster than her car, <laughs> <laughs> and because it's it's a luxury car, uh, it has more like more features than her car has. It's a relatively new car, you know, like a heated seat and uh, mirrors that tilt down when you back up, and uh, dual-zone climate control and stuff like you know stuff that we take for granted in everything now. But it's still not really.
0: Uh, I, I like those, and and yours is cool because you know you, you bought it because it had like a bad wheel bearing or something, and they were just bailing out of the car. Was that the deal?
2: Yeah, I uh, well, and I I uh, needed a, a new daily driver um, because I bought my ZL1. We'll get to that in a moment. But I was driving home from somewhere. And Trisha was in the passenger seat looking at stuff for sale on Facebook, and she's like, "What do you think of this?" And it's fifteen hundred dollars for a '97 Riviera with Uh, 150,000 miles on it. Sold. And uh, my first question was, "Is it a supercharged one?" And she says, "Yes." I said, "Well, let's find out if it's still available." (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, it had a a wheel bearing that was so bad, like uh, the whole it it was almost an indescribable level of wheel bearing noise. Like (laughs) (laughs) probably shouldn't have really driven it home, but I did, and I put a wheel bearing in it, and it's it's had a few fixes here and there uh, over the three years I've had it, but. Uh, I really like it, even though it's a beater and not in the best shape. Uh, It's a cool car. And then, uh, since we mentioned my ZL1, I have a 2012 Camaro ZL1, uh, which is in a Mm. reasonably long line of modern performance cars I've had so far. Um, I picked it not so much because I'm a Camaro fanatic, um, more because it met all the the check boxes I was looking for, because... I I wanted a GM because of the cost versus performance and the parts availability. I wanted something supercharged. I wanted a stick shift because it's way more fun. Amen. Mm -hmm. And I obviously rear-wheel drive with all that. So I I initially had wanted a second-generation cts V because I had a first generation that I really liked. Um, That Mike test drove for you. you. That Mike did did. test drive for me before I bought it.
1: Oh, yeah. That was a fun car. It was. Uh,
2: The problem with it is it wasn't ever fast enough, so I kept messing with it. And then it got to the point where I changed the oil once and there were some things in the oil that I didn't like, like some springs (laughs) off some valve stem seals. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yikes. Which I probably, you know, I could have fixed, but I was like, yeah, you know what? You you can just go down the road and I'll buy something that is fast enough I don't feel the need to mess with it all the time.
0: Yeah, because you were going to end up putting a motor in it and the whole thing.
2: Yeah, because I drag raced that car and all sorts of stuff. You drag raced it too? I did,
0: because <laughs> <laughs> I drag raced it when I test drove it <laughs> right before that oil change. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I was nice to it. I drove it around the block. Yeah. I
2: didn't. Know it. No, I was good. I was good. Yeah, and well, and then incidentally, I was I was worried that you know it might need more than valve stem seals. And I saw it for sale again uh, with another 20,000 miles on it and exactly the same spec sheet I had given to the guy I sold it to So, Mm. you know, you know how that goes. If I had kept it, it would have needed more valve stem seals. But since I didn't, it's apparently still, well, as of years ago, it was still ticking. Ticking Uh, being the opposite. Right, right. Literally (laughs) ticking. (laughs) Well, and the other thing that I I didn't like about it, which is one of the things that is not great about LSs is, is uh, the early LSs, the Gen 3 engines are known for piston slap, uh, which without getting too scientific, the piston design, which is part of the secret of the power, makes some noise when they get a little Weird. wear on them, especially when cold. And that car for as few miles were on it was pretty bad. It sounded like a diesel truck on a cold morning. So, Oof. and they'll run forever like that. But it, again, it's kind of embarrassing, you know, Seems like you got this nice car that you've abused. So, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, Uh, so back to my Camaro. I bought I bought that to to fill check boxes, and I just didn't want to pay the Cadillac tax again. Um, So I ended up with the Camaro, uh, which I've come to really like. Uh, It's probably it's probably my favorite car I've ever owned, as far as from the driver's seat, because it's it's a it's a good balance of more power than it necessarily needs, and I'll use the word "needs" lightly because there's mm. no such thing as too much power when you're a car guy. But it's it handles well, it stops well, it's reasonably comfortable, but you have to respect it, and I think that's why I why I like it because like the, the car I had bef- between the Cadillac and it was a fifth gen Corvette, which in all in all sorts of ways was perfect. Like it had just the right amount of power that obviously you can ball one up, but if you have any clue how to drive, you're not going to. It handled great. It stopped great. It got 30 miles to the gallon out on the highway. Um, as long as you didn't need to carry any more than one person, it had tons of room in the hatchback. It just, it to me, it didn't have a lot of personality. Where the oh. where the the Camaro has more personality because it's it's got more power than you could always use. I think a right lot on. of it. Um, Also, Trisha didn't like the Corvette because fifth-gen Corvettes have kind of a stigma about the type of person that drives them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even though, and I don't know if it was all in my head because she felt that way, or if it's in my head too, because we'll be honest, we've seen some of the people that drive a fifth-gen Corvette. So I, I got the I got the feeling that people would see me in it and they'd be like, why do you have your dad's car? Even though it wor- was worth half of what my Camaro's worth. Yeah, Nobody yeah. looks at me in my Camaro's like, oh, you took your dad's car out for the weekend, huh? So... Hmm. Yeah, it's a di- different
0: demographic. Plus, I remember Tricia complaining to me about all that money you were spending on uh, chest shampoo. <laughs> 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 it's kind of like beard wax. You know? <laughs> right. I think it was actually Corvette brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know,
2: they sell it at every, uh, every drugstore and the mm-hmm. museum, so why not? So, right.
0: And at this point, you know, I apologize to the Corvette guys. It's a joke.
2: hmm <laughs> Uh, so we have two more cars to cover. I also have a uh, 81 El Camino that uh, is kind of rare. It's also pretty beat. Um, it's a, an SS with a four-speed. And unfortunately, I've not been able to find reliable numbers on how many were made. I've seen everything from a couple dozen to a couple hundred. Either way, it's, it's pretty rare. Um, and my stepdad basically gave that to me um, as a wedding present because... He was tired of seeing it sit around and um, getting worn just from sitting. So (laughs) it's in dire need of an interior and a paint job. Um, But it runs and drives, and uh, uh, I drive to work once in a while. Mm -hmm. And then uh, lastly is my 68 uh, Chevy pickup, which i got to give Kevin some credit for. I had a 67 Chevy pickup, which was my first LS swap uh, when I first started here at the shop. But uh, it was one of those ready for paint vehicles that you know, we see them for <laughs> sale all the time. <laughs> and, ready uh, for rebody, yeah, right. So it it had primer on it, and I knew that it wasn't the best stuff under there. But again, I was working on this this truck, you know, basically in my college days. So I didn't have a lot of money. Um, so I shot a coat of paint on it. I drove that thing fifty thousand miles. In fact, I, I daily drove it for a while. Uh, well, my beater at that time was broken down. Uh, that incidentally happened right when we moved from the farm shop to the current shop. Mm-hmm. My beater was broken down at the farm shop for like six months. Oh no boy. Surprise Fritz didn't burn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well,
0: and then, you know, as fate would have it, your your replacement truck was uh, a derelict on the back of the shop building we were moving into.
2: It was. So I I was looking for a, a truck that was a lot less rust-free. I was basically going to do a body swap, take my chassis and out from under the red truck and put under a new body that or like restored body that didn't have the much rust problems. And then one day we were talking about this at the shop and Kevin's like, you know what you should do? We've talked about all these cars we wish we could build and we had customers for do the SS pickup. So uh, instead of fixing some minor rust problems and painting a truck red and then swapping a body and having the same truck, I was, cutting a truck in half and making it a short bed. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yes.
0: Sorry. But it is <laughs> leaning. <laughs> it
2: is really cool. Leaning tailgates forward. Yeah. Uh, so, a little spoiler on it. Yeah. It's got uh, to, to kind of paint a picture for the listeners is it's got a lot of first generation Camaro inspired things because uh, my, my thought process uh, that Kevin kind of fostered is like, trying to make this something that GM might have actually made uh, in the the muscle car era. So I cut the center section out of the middle of a Camaro SS hood. Um, So the whole hood profile has got the the power bulge off of a Camaro with the ice cube trays. Um, The truck has a square peak on the hood originally. So I've got the triangular peak on the hood off the Camaro. Uh, I bought aftermarket roll pans and put on each end and I took four 68 Camaro bumpers and modified them to, be wider and fit the profile of the truck. Uh, I lean the tailgate forward, and I, in that process, I also made the top of the bed is the correct length for a short bed, so like standard tonneau covers and stuff would fit, but a bottom of the bed's actually four inches longer, so the rear overhang's longer, which to me, I think, was one of the best things I did with the truck, because I always thought the, the back overhang on the short beds of those trucks is a little too short, like the yeah, wheels they look just look a little... A little a little, a little too far back mm-hmm. um so in my mind the, the bed proportions are a lot better uh and then on top of the tailgate i took a, a 69 camaro spoiler and i set up there to use as a silhouette for a steel spoiler that i made out of um i made a wire frame and then i hammered out sheet metal to, to fit basically on a, on a panel bag As i was doing this in my My own garage, which was two hours from work, so I wasn't able to use all the the shop equipment. So, panel bag and a hammer is how I formed the spoiler. And then, uh, the only place where I would say I'm disappointed on the theme, but I drive the thing a lot, it's got 30,000 miles on it, is it's LS powered. It's got a, a lowly little 4.8 that I paid 500 bucks for, and it did... 80,000 miles in somebody's truck before it got wrecked it did 50,000 miles in my 67 and it's done another 50,000 not 50,000 30,000 in in my 68 and i've had to put a water pump on it and an intake gasket
1: and right there my friend is why ls's are swap monsters (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: well and not only that so this truck it's a 68 c10 and it's got a 373 gear right
2: yeah, 373 gear, uh, 4L60 transmission. In it. And, and you've uh, actually
0: drag-raced this thing with 26
2: million miles on the motor on a 4L. I have. It's, not, it's by no means fast. Uh, it runs <clears throat> about a 14.3, which is... How about that?
1: I, that's nothing to sneeze at.
0: Fourteen
2: thirty no, is like,
0: you know, it's like SS396 390, SS Chevelle's yeah. specs on, on bias plots. Totally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Do you have any future plans for it?
2: Uh, well, I'm pretty sure, speaking of 4L60s, that the one that's in it is is like six inches from death because coming down to a stop sometimes it, it downshifts kind of weird. And uh, if it sits for a long time, it takes it a minute to pump up and get pressure and shift, mm. <laughs> especially when it's cold out. So, um, I have a 4L60 core sitting on the garage floor at home, but that thousand dollars feels better in my pocket than in a transmission until I absolutely need it. <laughs> right on. Yeah, and then uh, if time, effort, and money were no object, as much as I like the the comfort and convenience of the LS, really to be to fit the theme all the way together, it should have a, a big block in it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, um, couldn't so agree more.
2: Maybe someday a compromise would be to buy some of the the traditional looking parts and put on the on the ls the the fake big block valve covers put a carburetor style intake on it and put a throttle body injection system at least make it look a little more appropriate because right now you open the hood it looks like a o2 chevy pickup that the engine came out of mm. yeah but overall it's a great
0: truck i dig it a lot.
1: yeah i dig it too I, I remember seeing some build pictures of it i'm like wow this trevor guy really knows what he's doing
0: you got to see it at his wedding well.
1: I did get to see that as winning. And that's also uh, uh, is when I learned about his his true first name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've come full circle, which is good. Um, because I can hear everybody. They're, they're panting. They want to know the answer to our trivia <laughs> question. So, uh, first of all... Um, how do we do this? So this was a three-way deal and uh, our guest went first. So Trevor, you were the guest. Uh, let's have you uh, reveal the correct answers to your trivia question, which I'm pretty confident Mike
2: and I both got wrong. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, Kevin, you were close. So Kord mm. was correct as far as the manufacturer. So nice. Yardley, that's that's one point. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the year, however, was wrong. 1929 corn was the was the first front-wheel drive American car? Wow! Wow! And then uh, the bonus Ford uh, was, <clears this throat> was the first to have hidden headlights in the United States. That was the thirty-six thirty-seven Coffin Nurse Board. So, uh-huh. gosh, Kevin was is... Kevin was right in the ballpark.
1: Kevin's right on the money. Gosh, dang no, it! No. Nice. Well, that He's makes right you there. feel a
0: little better. So um of course Mike guessed the uh, the old Tornado Cadillac front drive. Yeah. The trivia question on the tornado is that the uh the front wheel drive tornado platform was supposed to be called the Old's Holiday. Really? Yeah, and it's a name they've used throughout since the fifties. On and off, like the holiday coupes and like yeah. even even like a seventy cutlass, one of those is a holiday. Oh but, uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, not really, but you know, okay. it came up. It's contextual, so there it is all right so uh mikey your turn
1: all right so i asked you guys um why does gdi injection requires so much higher fuel pressure than uh tune port injection and uh trevor went first and he said um that because of um gasoline being injected directly into the into the cylinders um where you're typically on the compression stroke for that motor, it's the cylinder pressures are so much higher. It requires a higher fuel pressure to atomize the fuel. And you agreed with Trevor, and ding, 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 you're both right. Congratulations!
0: I, I was right to just agree with him.
1: Yes, <laughs>
2: <laughs> you sound so disappointed, Mike.
1: No, no, I'm, I'm elated. I knew, I knew you guys were going to get it. I knew it was an easy question, but uh, I like, I like the question anyway. It is
0: a good one. And it's it's an interesting interesting topic for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All righty, that leaves mine, and I said uh, um, there's been several family-owned uh, and sibling-owned car companies over the years, and uh, a couple of which had brothers, uh, two brothers, and one had three. And uh, Mike said the Dodge Brothers for the. For the two-brother, and that is correct.
1: Hey, look at me.
0: Absolutely, right on. And the the bonus was the three, and and you said the uh, infamous flying Tucker brothers.
1: (laughs) Yardley, take that point back off.
0: (laughs) Who I've yet to meet. Um, Maybe they're out there, and maybe they built cars. I don't know. Preston, Heston, and... Timmy, I think Uh, Preston, Heston, and Lou (laughs) Right Uh, But I think that was a bonus So I think you're clear on that So we'll call it a win Um, Trevor said uh, The Graham Brothers Of course, he knows his his Graham vehicles uh, Of course, the Graham Page Motor Car Company Was run by three individuals Joseph, Robert, and Ray Graham So that is correct
1: How about that? Nicely done, Trevor
0: yeah. Well, I, 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 knew he knew a lot about those. So I was thinking he might pick up, I, I think he was going to pick up on it, but not quite that fast. Cause he just went right to the, <laughs> he did. I mean, he just <laughs> bypassed
1: the low hanging fruit of the Dodge brothers and went straight for the gram. Very nice. Right. Nicely done. And then for done. the
0: two, uh, Fred and August Duesenberg. Yes, that is also correct. And that was my, my backup. But, uh, I was, I was thinking, you know, both Dodge, uh, would have been the easier one, uh, so it it it's kind of a letdown because I did have a couple other Graham trivia questions that I, I could have pulled out here. Oh,
1: jeez! That uh, <laughs> do you yeah, not I just, hurt no, me enough? Do you well, not I hurt me it. enough?
0: I'm trying to make this fun for the whole family, okay. and that's why I had the 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 two with the Dodge brothers. Thank you,
1: know? you. thanks for that.
0: But uh, you know, just so Trevor he did point out that the the Graham boys were modifying Dodge trucks that became the the Dodge uh, pickup truck. Uh, here's here's a couple for you that I I don't think you know this one, Trevor. I'm going to throw it out there though. All right. What was the last year that the Graham Page Company was on the books as a, as a legitimate company? Oh,
2: well, year I'm I, I'm I'm going to say I don't know the year for sure. The as I understand it, and it's convoluted, so we'll try not to get too deep into my my knowledge of this. Graham continued to make cars actually quite a long time, but not under their own name. Um they were involved in uh Kaiser Fraser and Henry J, and ultimately uh have been diluted down to be uh in some fashion became Jeep. That's the shortest story on that. But the Graham brothers cashed out of the cars. And they went on to be an investment firm. Um, and I do know that they owned Madison Square Gardens for a while. But I don't know at what point the p- company name may have changed from being Graham Page to something else. Aha! Uh-huh. Well,
0: that Madison Square Gardens was going to be my other Graham trivia question, because I, I did find that out. But uh, interestingly enough, um, the the uh, Graham assets were uh, uh, acquired by Kaiser Fraser. And the name Graham Page continued until 1962 within the archives of Chrysler.
2: So there you go. When I said it ultimately became <laughs> it became a Jeep, that definitely was not far off. Nope. No, but that Jeep right. didn't become part of Chrysler until the 80s. Right. So, so. I don't know how Chrysler very, got to hold right. of that earlier, but. It's, a, it's all very incestuous. So.
0: <laughs> well, right on. That's more about Graham's than any, any other listener other three listeners wanted to know, <laughs> <laughs> but they're, uh, they're cool cars. So uh, at that, uh, I'm going to say to Trevor, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, Mike. Um, thanks for suggesting Trevor as a guest. You bet. Yeah, it
1: was fun. Yeah. it was fantastic. Thanks for coming on, Trev. Yeah. I'll,
2: I'll uh, do it again. <laughs> all right. uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope it wasn't weird being on the other side of the microphone for this one. Uh, you know, now when you mow your lawn, are you going to listen to yourself?
2: I, I might, although I do actually <laughs> even though I, I listen to, uh, I, I watch episodes of the show, listening to yourself is something that I find hard to get over, because I think everybody who's listened to a recording themselves knows that you don't sound in your head the same way you actually sound, so it's no, I'm, it's always, it's weird for me, I'm sure it's weird for a lot of people. I know Kevin's pretty used to it, with the, all the TV stuff, listening to him, himself on playbacks, but I don't know, I'll try. The mower the mower drowns some things out. Maybe it will drown out my uh, my nasally drawl. It isn't going to drown out your correct trivia questions, though. No, man. no, it is not. <laughs> right on.
0: All right. Well, we uh, we appreciate everybody listening to uh, this episode of VA Radio. Uh, again, I don't know why I say this at the end. If you you've already heard this, so you know where you can listen to it. But maybe there's better places. Maybe if you're listening. Uh, On Podbean, you might find it better on TuneIn Radio. I don't know. Maybe all the Pod, uh, the Stitcher FM people would uh, switch over to uh, Google Play or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Player FM or iHeartRadio or the V8Radio.com site. I don't know. It's up to you. Like I said last time, listen where it's least, uh, you know, hassle. Make it easy on yourself. We appreciate it. Subscribe if you can. And uh, for uh, Mr. Trevor Spence and Mr. Mike Huball-Clark, I'm Kevin Oste reminding you to keep the shiny side under 100, and we will see you next time on VA Radio.